Good morning. Glad to be here this morning. Glad you're here. We're going to um, talk about a scripture that is very probably very well known to us. It's out of Romans chapter 12, the first couple of verses. I wouldn't uh, turn there because it'll be up on the screen. You might get, if you've got the little red pew Bibles, you might get those out and turn to Daniel because we're going to spend quite a bit of time there and it will not be on the screen. And that's on about page 716 if you're using the the red pew Bibles. So I've entitled the the lesson of the morning, Transforming Your Life, and that's found in, um, this concept is found in Romans chapter 12. But we're going to talk about this this power of holy people this morning. Um, I really, uh, I got on this uh, couple probably about a month ago, six weeks ago, thinking about this topic and studying uh, Daniel. And um, last week when I said, you know, give me something to talk about, uh, you know, I was was not quite ready to bring this, but I spent the better part of this week thinking about this. And so hopefully um, my, my purpose this morning is to bring something that is very applicable, that you can use, that you can put in your life. So this it's not going to be a lot of philosophy. This is going to be stuff that hopefully can actually help you walk the Christian life and, and be a different person maybe. So let's start out um, in, um, Daniel, or in Romans chapter 12, verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So I've got some things uh, underlined there, and the first word is holy. And we've talked about that word a number of times, and we've talked about that. uh, Could somebody put up the notes back there for me? Um, We've talked about that a number of times. So holy means uh, separated or set apart. Sometimes we stop there when we're talking about it in the religious process, in the religious perspective. We're talking about set apart for sacred use. So we're talking about being holy as it relates to God. We're talking about being set apart for a sacred use, for something that's special, for God's use. And so all of us, when we stood up and talked to a preacher and said, you know, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, or he said that, and we said, yes, I believe it. And then we were baptized and we arose to walk a newness of life. We decided to separate ourselves, to be called out, to be owned by God for his sacred use on this earth. That's what we were saying. That's what we were committing to do, hopefully, when when we were baptized and we were um, arose to walk that newness of life. And that's what that transformed word there really means. It means a metamorphosis like a butterfly that went from this ugly caterpillar to this beautiful butterfly. That's what we did. We went from this ugly sinful man to someone that is holy and separated and set apart for sacred use by the Lord. The second thing there uh, that I had underlined is reasonable service. And that probably meant something different to them, or it can mean a couple of different things. I'm not sure exactly what the writer meant there. But in the old times, when this was written, you got to recognize that they were moving from a Jewish religion, right? That was very much about sacrifices and thou shalt and thou shalt not. And they were moving to this new religion, which was this Christian religion that was from the heart. It had been perfected by the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the earth and dying on the cross, right? So what they had been under 
was something that was very rigid. Now they're under this new law. And so now this service that you're to give becomes reasonable, right? It becomes reasonable because you're under the new law where Jesus died for it. So that's, that's, that's part number one that they were probably thinking about. But for us, when you think about this concept that I just mentioned earlier, that we're owned by God, that we came up out of the watery grave and we dedicated ourselves to him, that's reasonable. It's reasonable for us to do the things that he asked us to do because we just said we're committing ourselves to you. We're committing ourselves to your life. So we appear as a new person. That's this transformed piece. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about there is renewing of your minds. And it's mentioned also over in Ephesians chapter 4. It says renewed um, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So it's talking about it's talking about this inner being. It's talking about something that starts on the inside and then is manifested outwardly. So we're to work on our mind. We're to start this transformation internally. That's where the heart is. And we've got many teachings in the New Testament about the, the inward man is what defiles you, right? It's, it comes out of the heart. So we've so we got to work on this heart to get it right. And so that's what this whole scripture is talking about here. Now I've got a couple, three examples one is a worldly example. One is just a story that I found that I'm going to walk through with you. And then we're going to go to the book of Daniel, and we're going to talk about some real-life examples of what it means in the face of trials and tribulations or risk, which we all face, whether we're at work or whether with friends or wherever we're at, school, it doesn't matter. There are opportunities where the world wants to push you to do something else, and you know that the Lord is pushing you in a different direction and we've got to make decisions, right? And so how do we make those decisions? How do we be transformed and not conformed? So how do we get out of the world and the confirmation of the world and what of all our friends and wants to do and how do we be transformed into this holy person that has power to work for God? So the first one is um, <clears throat> this worldly example. So Bill was in college studying to become a preacher his wife, Barbara, worked as a quality control inspector at a pharmaceutical company. One day, through mistaken procedures, a major order of syringes was contaminated and would not pass inspection. When Barbara reported the contamination to her boss, he quickly made a cost-effective decision, shipped the order. He directed her to sign the inspection clearance despite the contamination she refused. Because of government regulations, Barbara was the only one who could sign the clearance. The syringes did not ship that day, so the next day, a Friday, Barbara got a visit from the company president. He said he would give her the weekend to think it over, but if the forms were not signed on Monday, her job would be in jeopardy. Real-world example, am I going to conform, or am I going to be transformed and look different? Am I going to look like a butterfly, am I going to look like an ugly caterpillar, right? Real-world example, things that we're faced with all the time. So, you know, if you found yourself in Barbara's situation, how would you handle it? And it's real easy to sit here on a Sunday morning and go, man, I wouldn't sign it. I'd get fired. But again, have empathy for Barbara, even though she's fictional. Put yourself in that situation and go, man, my job's on the line. My spouse, who's studying to be a preacher... We're not going to be able to pay for his college or her college. I mean, what would I do? Have some empathy for Barbara's situation. Put yourself in that real-world example. What would you do? Well, there's some more information. 
Much more was in jeopardy. This inspection job was this couple's only income. The future of her husband's education and ministry was also in jeopardy. All their hopes and dreams and family plans of many years could be shattered as a result of the choice to be made over the next couple of days. For this young couple, this is what I thought was interesting. For this young couple, all the abstract doctrinal instruction they had received about a personal consecration, world transformation, a credible witness boiled down to this one very real decision. Could they afford to remain undefiled from the contamination of the world that the contamination of the world was urging them to approve? Was the witness of holiness worth the cost? So we talk a lot, right? As from the pulpit, we read scripture and we talk about what it means to be certain things, but then we go out and we leave the safety of the sanctuary, we leave the safety of this of this grouping of this congregation, we go out into the real world and we face real world decisions. And the question is how much of this teaching, this abstract stuff do we take with us and how do we apply it and how do we use it? So put yourself in the shoes of Barbara and her husband. What kinds of emotions would you have been feeling over that weekend? Barbara did refuse to sign and was fired. What would you be feeling after losing your job? What would you be feeling? How would you be feeling? I got some examples. Would you feel regret? I should have just signed the paper and not made a big deal out of it. One way you could have gone about it. Would I be worried? What's going to happen now? <laughs> Get my resume ready? What, what's, what's the next step? What about anger? I can't believe my boss put me in that situation. What about desire for revenge? I'll sue. I'll call the NLRB. I'll call whoever. I'll egg the house. We, we prefer toilet paper, but... <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get back. Pity. Probably not, but my boss probably was put in this situation by his boss. It's just the way the world is. I mean, even the president of the company, right? If this is a public company, he answers to shareholders, right? And you don't, you don't want to report to Wall Street that you missed a shipment and revenue's down because of it because guess what? Your stock does like this, and the board removes you as president. So even the president has bosses, Everybody has bosses. Could there be pity? Could they, were they just trying to save them, their, their own jobs and their own company, and they just needed her to do in their mind what the right thing was? Or confidence. I did the right thing. Everything's going to be okay. So it's a real-world example of how the difference between conformity and transforming yourselves, Right? So Barbara was fired. She did not conform. She transformed. Well, since we're writing a fictional story, let's give it a happy ending. Officials of the customer company investigated the delay and discovered how Barbara had protected them from the contaminated syringes, even at the cost of her job. That company hired her, increased her pay, and she finished putting her husband through college. So happy ending to a tough situation. But we face those all of the time. So let's move to the book of Daniel, page 716 in the red books, if you have it. And let's talk about a real-life example. So this really happened. This isn't a fictitious story about some lady and her husband that 
lady worked at a pharmaceutical company. This is a real-world example about Daniel. We're going to read nearly the first two chapters of Daniel, and it's not going to be up there. So you might want to touch the Word of God. Chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judea, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judea, into his hand with a part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure, into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, I know I was going to mess up on some of these words, Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So I'm reading out of King James. might be slightly different than I think you've got new King James in the pew. In verse number four, children in whom was no blemish but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding in science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So King Nebuchadnezzar has come into Jerusalem. He's besieged it. He's going back home, and he said, hey, gather up some of the smartest men of Israel, some of those that, hey, they, uh, it says they look good, they're smart, they've got wisdom, they're cunning in knowledge, they understand science, they've got to be able to stand before the king. So these are, these are the, the uh, bright young superstars of the children of Israel. Gather them up, and let's take them back, and we're going to teach them how to speak our language. Verse number five, and the king appointed them a daily provision of king's meat and the wine which he drank. So nourished them, so nourished them three years, and it ended therefore that they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. Unto them, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Michelle of Meshach, and of Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel proposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse like likening than the children that are of your sort then shall he make me in danger then shall ye make me in danger of my head the king so that's a lot of king james to say he doesn't want to eat the meat from the the table of the king he doesn't want to drink that drink it will defile him so obviously the king is eating something that the israelites were commanded not to eat and he's passing that down to these folks to eat and he talk, Daniel talks to the eunuch, and he says, the, the one that, not to the eunuch, to the one that's over the eunuchs, which is over them, to say, hey, I don't want to eat this. I don't want to be defiled. And he said, he said Daniel, he said, if I, if I don't feed you like I'm supposed to feed you, and you go before the king, and you, don't look, and you look worse than everybody else that's eating the meat from the tables of the king, then the king is going to require my head. He's going to kill me. So there's an issue. There's some risk here. And then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I believe, I beseech these ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. 
Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he said, hey, let's just run an experiment. Ten days, let everybody else eat whatever the king's given them. You give us, I believe, pulses, vegetables, vegetables and water. So we're going to be vegetarians. You give us that stuff. And you go ten days and you look at our countenance and you see, hey, if we look any worse, then you just do whatever you think you need to do. Feed us whatever you need to feed us after that ten days. So he, con- he consented to them in this matter and and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus, thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and <coughs> communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and, not, and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his realm. And Daniel continued even under the King Cyrus. So we've got this first um, occurrence here in Daniel chapter 1 where we talk about the diet. So we've got we've to put ourselves in the, in the frame of Daniel and these three Hebrew children. We've lived our life in Jerusalem. All of a sudden we're uprooted. We're taken across the country with King Nebuchadnezzar. So we're in a foreign country with the Chaldeans. We're under, I I don't know if prison's the right word, but they're definitely restrained. They can't leave. Um, They're under guard. They've got this this captain of the the host of the eunuchs that's watching out after them. And they're told, hey, we're going to feed you this stuff, and we're going to teach you the language of the Chaldeans so that you can be a wise man for the king. You can serve the king and advise the king. But this stuff is stuff that Daniel knows he can't eat. So, again, put yourself in that position. Where would you think God was in all of this? Where would you think God was in all this? I've been defeated. My city's been besieged. I'm now a prisoner. I'm being taken into captivity, being taught a different language. I think that's important because I think this diet thing is a good starting point for us. I mean, they weren't asked to, they weren't being asked at this point to worship another god or you know do this great terrible thing against God. They were just being asked to eat what the king was feeding them. They said, "No, that's it's not what we were taught." So it's subtle. It starts very subtle. That's my point here. This diet thing is just the first thing that Daniel runs into in this new relationship with this uh, Babylonian king. You know, a quick scan of the, of the next five chapters, you got a whole, uh, several more dealings with this death reigning king, right? At any moment, he can cut somebody's head off 
and he does try to do that. Or he could throw you into a fiery furnace. He's going to try to do that. Or he could throw you into a lion's den. He's going to try to do that. Today, all he's asking you to do is eat the food that was on his table. So it's starting subtle with Daniel, right? Starting really small. <coughs> so the first thing I think we should learn out of that story there in chapter 1 is that holiness comes with risks. So Daniel says, I'm not going to eat the food. He's informed very quickly that there's some risk involved. There's risk involved for me if I don't feed you that food. The king could require my head. And I'm thinking that Daniel pretty well knew that there was that same risk for him, right? If he shows up in three years and he's all scraggly and scrawny and all these other folks are looking really good and they find out that they've been feeding him different because he made the or requested of that, he's going to suffer the same plight as the eunuch or the captain of the captain over the eunuchs. So there's some risk with being holy. And in fact, in 2 Timothy, it tells us that all of us that are trying to live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. Obviously, when that was written, the persecution was at a higher level then than it may be today. But all of us suffer it, and maybe it's in these little bits and pieces, right? It's like, hey, let's go to a restaurant that we shouldn't go to because the ladies aren't dressed the way they should be dressed. Or let's... Um, Let's uh, tell a dirty joke at work because I want to be funny and I want to be perceived as in the crowd. Or whatever it is, where there's all these little nuances, these little subtleties that we face every day in our life. And Daniel's story here is telling us, man, let's get a hold of all of that. If we've got a problem with language, let's fix that. If we've got a problem with whatever, let's fix these little things and get started there. <coughs> In verse number 8, I think it's uh, very interesting. It says that Daniel, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he's not going to eat these, this food. He's not going to be defiled by this food. And I think it starts there. And we've got to get the heart right. It starts in our heart. We've got to get the heart right. Um, <clears throat> these little things are building blocks. And we'll talk a little bit more of that, about that as we go along. So, by not giving in to this sin, I want you to think about this. By not giving in to this defilement sin, his heart stayed closer to God. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean every time that we give in to these little worldly conformity things, our heart moves a little bit further away from God. Just a little bit further whether that's an attitude or a concept or the way we've always done things or whatever it is, we've got to get a hold of those little things in our life that are, that are not the kinds of things that God would have us to do. And look at verse number 17. I think this is important. At least in this particular case, God rewarded um, his holiness. As for the four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So God's promised us that all things are going to work out for good to them that love the Lord. Sometimes that happens here on earth. It ultimately always is going to happen with our relationship with him uh, in heaven. <clears throat> so let's talk about Daniel chapter 2. See what we can learn from Daniel chapter 2. 
So Nebuchadnezzar has a dream here in chapter 2. We're going to read about it. Um, I think we'll probably, I don't know where we'll stop. I'll just figure that out as we go. Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherein his spirit was troubled and his sleep broke from him. So he had a dream, and it was so bad that he woke up. It, his sleep broke from him. Then the king commanded, commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dream so that he... So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king of Syriac, O king, live. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If you will not make known unto me the dream which the interpretation with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut into pieces, and your house shall be made dunghill. So the king has a dream. I don't know if he can't remember at all, or he just can't remember. He says it's gone from him, but it was so terrible that it woke him up. And he calls, he calls all of his uh, Chaldeans, the, the astrologers, the magicians, the people that are supposed to help him with these kinds of things, his advisors, and he calls them before him, and he says, hey, tell me about this dream that I had, and interpret it for me. And they said, fine, tell us about the dream and we'll interpret it. He said, no, the dream's gone from me. You need to tell me both the dream and you need to interpret it from me. Verse number six, but if you show the dream and interpretation thereof, you shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. So he gives them two choices. He says, you either show me the dream and the interpretation thereof, and I'll give you a bunch of gifts, or if you don't, I'm going to cut you up in a bunch of little bitty pieces and I'm going to destroy your house. Two, two dichotomies there. <laughs> One, you're showering me with gifts, and the other, you're cutting me into pieces and you're, and you're taking down my house. Um, they answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of certainty that you would gain the time because you see the thing is gone from me. But if you will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you. Ye sh for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me till the time be changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. So he's saying, hey, if I tell you the dream, then you can just lie to me and give me any kind of interpretation about it. But if you can tell me the dream and interpret it for me, I, I know that what you're telling me is going to be the truth. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things of any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. So they say, Hey, there's not a person on, on this earth that can do what you're asking us to do. There's nobody that can both tell you what you dreamed and interpret the dream. Therefore there's no, no king or lord that's ever required this of his advisors, his astrologers, his magicians. <coughs> And it is a rare thing, in verse number, it is a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they say, hey, you're asking something of, that, that only a god can tell you, a god that's not of this world, that's not fleshly. So in verse number 12, For this cause the king was angry and very furious and commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. 
So all the wise men are going to be slain, including Daniel and his friends. And so they're starting to gather them up. Then Daniel answered with, with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which uh, was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is this, this, the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. So Daniel said, hey, what's going on? Why, why all of a sudden is everybody getting killed in this deal? You know, what, what's going on? And, the, and the, uh, uh, the captain of the guard told him. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made this thing known to Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed is the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and mighty are his. And he changed the times and the seasons. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O God of my Father, who hath given me wisdom and might and hath made known unto me what was desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judea that will make known unto, thee, make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and saith, the secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. And he goes on and he tells him the dream. And we're not going to we're not going to read the dream. I think that's an interesting reading maybe for this afternoon as you're as you're thinking about the lesson of the morning, as well as probably the first five or six uh, chapters here in Daniel, lots of good information. So think about Daniel again. He's in this situation. He's already been given a ton of wisdom, a ton of intelligence. He's a smart guy, and he's, he's presented with this situation where the king says, man, I'm going to kill all the wise men because they can't, they can't do what I'm asking. So <clears throat> in the face of death... I want you to notice the very first of what Daniel did. He tells the king, hey, I can interpret it. And then he goes back and he gets his friends and he says, let's talk to God. Let's find out the secret. How does he put it? It's in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made this thing known to his friends. And in verse number 18, he says that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret so they start talking to god 
So they're saying, hey, there's this secret. There's this thing that needs to be revealed to us or we're going to die. And so they start praying to him. And I think that's important. And I'll give you three reasons that I think prayer is an important part of this transformation. Reason number one is we can confess our needs to God. And that's important. We've got, he's the almighty creator, right? We've got this privilege of being able to confess our needs to him. The second thing that we can do is we can confess to him our weaknesses. So, hey, what do we need? Where are we weak? And this is an important concept, at least I believe it to be true. I can't point to scripture and tell you this, but I believe that prayer is a barometer of your soul. Let me tell you why I think that. When you think about prayer and you think about asking for your weaknesses and, or asking to cover your weaknesses or uh, telling God what you need, how often do you do that? And, and just take this own little self-evaluation. When I pray to God more, am I closer to him or am I further away? So think about times in your life where you had a very active prayer life, and that could be today. I'm not saying you don't. That could be today. When you have that active prayer life, when you're communicating with God, do you feel closer to him then? Or when things, yeah, it's been, it's been a little while since I bowed the knee. There's been times in my life as I've gone through life where I was further away and didn't bow the knee as much. So my question here is, or my statement here, my, my concept here is, if you want to get your heart right, and you want to get close to God, then you got to talk to him. I mean, you don't, you don't befriend somebody and become friends with somebody and never talk to them. You, I mean, in the process of becoming friends, I know we've got friends that have moved off and become distant, and we don't talk to them as much. And I, can, I would ask you that question, are you closer to them now? Or were you closer to them when you made them your friend and you were talking to them every day? Think about your high school friends, right? I was close to them. I knew what was going on every day. I spent the night with them on some weekends. I went to horse shows with my best friend. I spent a ton of time with him. The last time I saw him was two years ago at an Aggie football game when he was a policeman on the, the field, guarding the field. The last time I saw him, talked to him for 15 minutes. Am I closer to him now? Or was I closer to him when I spent the night with him and played with his dog Badger and went to horse shows with him all weekend and had a relationship with him? I talked to him. Right? I can tell you. I know the answer. I think you know the answer, right? You can't have a relationship with God and not talk to him. And the way he's going to talk to you back, guess what? It's the word. So those two things are a barometer or can be a barometer for your closeness with him. And when you think about little things and you think about transformations, you know, we're going to have a meal here in a minute. And everybody here knows that before that meal, we're going to offer a prayer, right? But do we pray before every meal every day or just on Sunday at, the, at this meal? Well, you know, we don't pray in public. So you're conforming? You're conforming to the public pressure of not having a prayer at the meal, at the table, because you're in public? Are you transformed? Are you different? I can tell you, I fail in all of these. I'm just bringing them up to you to show you the, the difference here. I don't always pray in front of the, my coworkers when we go out to lunch. I do sometimes. Sometimes I forget. 
how does, how does prayer show up in your life? Because you can get to the point that you're making big decisions every day without asking his advice. And there are people that will move across the country following his job, and their second or third or fourth thought after they get there is, oh, I wonder where we're going to go to church. How did, how did I get... Well, I'll tell you how you got there. You quit praying before every meal. You quit bending the knee every night and thanking the Lord for what happened that day. You quit praying in the morning when you get up about what you want that day and what your needs are that day and what you want your day to be like that day. You quit communicating with God, so now all of a sudden you're moving halfway across the country and he doesn't even know where you're going. Not literally, he knows where you're going. He doesn't know where you're going based on the conversations that you've had with him. He knows where you're going because he knows everything. So I'm not trying to get on you because I'm getting on myself, but I'm trying to tell you how you start transforming your life instead of conforming with the world. You start developing this relationship like Daniel had with his God. <clears throat> Verse 19 and 23 shows that Daniel never left, lost faith in the God, and he, he, uh, we need to always give God praise in verse number 28. I want to talk real quick about the furnace. We're not going to read that story, and, I, and we're not going to read it because I think most of you know it. But again, there's a couple, two or three important points about prayer and, or about attitude that come out of the furnace. So the fiery furnace, very quickly, three Hebrew children, a uh, king builds an idol, tells everybody to worship the idol. The three children say, no, we're not going to do it. He says, well, if you don't do it, I'm going to throw you in a fiery furnace. They say, don't care, can't do it. He builds a furnace heats it up four times, 4X, throw the, throw the kids in the fiery furnace. The two guys throwing them in die because the heat's so bad. A fourth figure feels, appears in the furnace likened to the Son of God. They pull them out of the furnace, not a singed hair on their head. So that, that's the real quick version of that story. Again, read it. It's right there in Daniel. The first thing I want to notice from that <coughs> is how they acknowledge their needs without stipulating how God was going to respond. So there's an important concept there, and Matt and I were talking about it before church. He, he said, yeah, that, this, 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 and I said, hey, yeah, we're going to talk about that. The, the, the children did not assume God was going to save them. What did they say? He's got the power to save me. I don't know if he's going to. I don't care. I'm not worshiping your idol. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to obey what I know to be, I know to be right regardless of what God's plan for me in this whole thing is. So that's important. So let me give you an example. We pray all the time, and I'll use my mother in the example. She's in good health, so this is not true. But let's assume she wasn't. Let's assume I go to, my, go to God in prayer and I say, hey, mom's fighting this terrible disease, and God, I just want you to deliver her from the disease. I want you to make her better. I want you to restore her to her, her, to her health. Thy will be done. Amen. Now, which one of those did I mean, or did I mean all of it? Because what happens to us, and I'm talking real fast because I've, I've gone over my time here, but what happens to us a lot of times is we go to God in prayer and we tell him what we want. We tell him our desires, and we're supposed to. Brother Eddie and I were talking about this before service, and he said, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Absolutely. Up until the point that you want it so bad that you desire it so bad that if you don't get it, the part on the end was just a tagline, thy will be done, was just a tagline that you didn't really mean. 
And so when mom doesn't get better, when mom passes away and I start blaming God because he didn't answer my prayer, he didn't give me my desire, my selfish desire, he did his will because he wanted to bring mom home, then I've missed it. So the three Hebrew children did something there that's crucial to our relationship with God. It's crucial to a long-term relationship with God. And that is that his will be done in all things. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to tell him what my desires are. I'm going to ask him. But I'm going to trust that he's smarter than I am. And sometimes as Americans, we have a hard time with that. Second thing, they humbly acknowledge the ability of the Lord to meet their needs, but in the way that he knows best. And they committed themselves to this obedience regardless of the outcome. I'm not worshiping your idol. I'll walk into the fiery furnace before I do it. I'm not going to be conformed to this world, even if it means dying. So how did they get there? This is my point. Chapter 1, it's about what I'm eating. Chapter 2, it's about a dream. Chapter 3, there's a fiery furnace heated 4X that I'm about to be thrown into. Right? It started with the little things. They weren't willing to compromise and be conformed on even the little things. And it ended up fiery furnace, lion's den. It ended up big things. But they couldn't do the big things without having been faithful and obedient through the little things. And if they had just ate what they wanted, that would have said their conviction's not very strong. And now they're looking at a fiery furnace. Like, I'm worshiping the image, right? I can't get there unless I start over here. I can't get to the fiery furnace and say no unless I start with the small things and getting my heart right. So real quick, we'll sum it up. Transformation starts in the heart. Concentrate and work on the small things first. Discipline your body and your mind Respond with prayer, build your relationship, talk with God. Build your faith through trials to a point that you trust God over your own desires. Praise God regardless of the outcomes. And develop an uncompromising obedience that says, I will do what the Lord wants me to do regardless. Now, real quick, why did I choose to talk about this? I chose to talk about this Uh, because of some conversations that I've had with other people, Michael, other folks. I think about the Duck Dynasty thing three or four years ago where a guy said something about homosexuality and, man, the world just came down on him, right? He got fired from his show. Um, The church was under fire because he he wouldn't be conformed, right? Now, did he say it right? I'm not defending all of that. But he stood for an issue that was a church issue. Now, he got hired back because the rest of the family quit unless they hired him back. But So, again, happy ending to a story. But my point's not that. My point is we as Christians are going to be faced, maybe not in our lifetime, but certainly in some of the lifetimes of these kiddos that we got in our arms with some pretty big issues, I believe. Michael believes that. I believe that. And it starts with the little things. If we're, if we're willing to conform here, conform there, conform here, conform there, then when it, something really big gets up there, we're just going to go, you know, that first, that first one up there was like, hey, why didn't I just do what I, when we talked about the lady in the pharmaceutical company, the first one was like, 
regret. Why, why, I, why don't I just do whatever? It starts with those small things. So my encouragement this morning is to just take, an, take your life, put it under a microscope, and figure out if there's some small things, if there's some Christian discipline, if there's some spiritual discipline that I need to develop in and, in and along my life. Do I need to pray more? Do I need to read God's life, God's word more? Do I need to start working on my tongue? Do I need to start working on this? Do I need to start working on that? And just recognize that we need to work on these little things and build that discipline and strengthen our lives because someday we'll face some big challenges. Some of us may already have. Um, so think about that. Do some, do some, um, do some uh, reflection on your life and see if there's something that, that you need to change in there somewhere. Uh, we've uh, got a song. If you'd uh, like the prayers of the church, if you'd like to be baptized today and enter into, the, enter into the kingdom, we can do any or all of that for you if you'd come while we stand and sing.